Now, the Front Porch People's Greenlight Reviews. Hi there, everyone. Welcome to Greenlight Reviews. I am Les Roberts. And I'm Ann Elder. And today, Ann, we're going to review a film that I found very interesting okay. because of its star, Robert De Niro. Mm-hmm. It's called Being Flynn. Okay. Now, that's not like Errol Flynn. This is a whole different kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. Being Flynn comes from an autobiography by Nick Flynn, who then wrote the screenplay with the director, Paul Weitz. And it's about Nick Flynn, played by Paul Dano, who is wandering around trying to figure out what to do with the rest of his life. Mm-hmm. He starts working at a homeless shelter. There he encounters the father that he has not talked to or seen in 18 years. Right. Jonathan Flynn, played by Robert De Niro. Mm -hmm. Jonathan Flynn is an alcoholic. He is a very, very temper-driven man. He is also a self-proclaimed great writer. I'd say he was delusional. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) To put it mildly. He thinks the greatest writers in the world are J.D. Salinger and... Mark Twain. Him, yeah. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Jonathan Flynn is down on his luck completely. He wanders into this homeless shelter, and of course, Nick, despite not liking him at all and kind of blaming him for his mother's death, feels obligated to kind of watch out for him. By the way, his mother is long gone, but in flashbacks here, she is played by Julianne Moore, Mm -hmm. and I think this is one of Julianne Moore's better performances over the years. There is another star of this film that I was really quite enamored with. I know who you're going to (laughs) say. Olivia Thirlby. She plays another worker at the homeless shelter, Denise. And of course, Denise and Nick connect and become lovers of sorts. Olivia Thirlby is absolutely breathtaking. She's very, very pretty. But she's also a wonderful, wonderful actress. I think she's great. I really bought into somebody that young and relatively inexperienced playing this role. However, for me, Mm -hmm. the film was overly depressing. Well, I don't disagree with you. I wouldn't say overly depressing, but it was certainly mildly depressing. (laughs) I want to say one thing, though, before we go on. It's great to see that De Niro hasn't lost his acting chops. We've been forced to see him in some lame comedies lately. And in being Flynn, he got a great role, and of course, he attacks it with vigor. And he does have his work cut out for him because... Flynn is a very unlikable character, and it's only because of the magnetism of De Niro that we can watch such a guy who is, as I mentioned earlier, delusional. He is irascible, terribly unkind to everybody around him. He's ungrateful. He's unsympathetic. He's not compassionate, a real mean character. So it's difficult at the beginning for me to find anything about him watchable. Another slight problem that I have with this film, it's not one that sinks the ship, but it is one that gave me pause, and that is that the relationship between Paul Dano and Robert De Niro, the son, Nick, and the father, Jonathan, is a hard one to buy. I don't really think that Paul Dano is a good match as an actor against the incredible acting skills of a Robert De Niro. He's okay, but it's just not a brilliant dynamic. I have to agree with you there. I've never been a Paul Dano fan. I feel that way about a lot of actors. Then they fool me and they do something really good. I think Robert De Niro, frankly, blew him away. And I kept watching De Niro and this rage going on behind his eyes. And I couldn't help but remember what I think is his greatest performance ever in Raging Bull. So I was 
totally fascinated with watching De Niro here and very fascinated with watching Olivia Thirlby, too. And how about the irony, Les, of the opening sequences in this movie when you got to see Robert De Niro driving a taxi cab again? I mean, Shades of Taxi Driver, the film that you know made him a huge star. Right. You know, this Jonathan Flint is such a pain-in-the-neck character, isn't he? I mean, about the 12th time that he's insisting that he's written the great American novel and that he's the greatest writer of all time, which obviously begins to get repetitious and then it wears on your nerves, as it does his son. You just want to say, oh, shut up. You know, I mean, you're so (laughs) fed up with him. And he's such an ingrate. It's difficult to watch at times. I thought the flashback sequences showing the young Nick coping with his absentee father were probably the best in the film. And those scenes reminded me of a wonderful movie that Paul White's made called A Boy's Life starring Hugh Grant. That was a great film. And I had wished that this movie had had more of that sentiment. But it doesn't. This is another kind of film. I had to just grit my teeth and ultimately buy that Nick and Jonathan were father and son. Once I bought that premise, then the film was much better for me. Yeah, I had a little trouble with it. I get very moved by father-son relationships in films. I know you do. Despite the fact that I had a very good relationship with my own father and I have a great relationship with my son, somehow this, this gets to me. Yet here, because Jonathan is such a terrible character, I find it hard to believe except There is a moment in this film Mm -hmm. where Jonathan has misbehaved so badly in the shelter, Nick is the one who decides to ban him from there. Right. Well, again, we have to say that Nick keeps an eye out for his dad. He rescues him time and time again. And you wonder just how much of his father's ungrateful attitude that he will withstand. And it turns out he can withstand quite a lot. And when they were dragging Jonathan out, he screams at Nick, Father murderer? Mm. Boy, that coming out of De Niro really knocked my socks off. I thought De Niro was superb in this. One thing I want to say about Paul Dano, we both kind of kicked him around a little bit for his performance. As this movie went on, I grew to appreciate the character of Nick quite a bit more. And I liked him once he became a responsible teacher towards the close of the movie. He became much more grown up. His life had some worth about it. And I thought he, as a mature person, was much more effective than a slackered, aimless young man. And I liked him as an actor much better. So I thought the movie got better, or he did, as the story unfurled. Yeah, I wasn't disturbed by him. I just kept thinking of a lot of better actors who could have stood up to De Niro. But he certainly has gotten better than I've seen him before. Right. And didn't you like the idea that much of this movie takes place in a homeless shelter? I think that's an excellent setting for this film. I thought it was different. We don't get to see that very often. It gave us a very interesting insight into how these people live, the rules that they have to go by. I like the whole concept of the setting and the environment. However, most of it depressed me very, very badly. I kept hoping there was something at the end that was going to kind of lift me up, and it only did kind of. So for that reason, Anne, I've got to give this a yellow light. Mm -hmm. I'm doing so rather than a red light because I think De Niro was so absolutely astonishing. Well, we're not going to give away the ending, but I want to say that in the conclusion, I like the idea that Jonathan turns to Nick and finally lets him have the spotlight. That's all I'm going to say, because 
prior to that, he has burdened his son by being a selfish nuisance of a father who lives in a world of fantasy and delusion. And I thought that the ending was very good. So that said, I'm going to give Being Flynn a yellow light. Okay, we agree. Two yellow lights for Being Flynn, directed by Paul Weitz and, of course, starring the great Robert De Niro. We're going to be back to review another film very soon. We hope you will join us at that time. Until then, my name is Les Roberts. And I'm Ann Elder. And Greenlight Reviews hopes that whether you're Flynn or not, you are going to go and have a terrific time the next time you see a movie. Hi, this is comedian and writer, and let's be honest, I do a lot of things. This is Dean Archipotus, the host of Whiskey Business, the podcast not so much about whiskey as it is one with whiskey. Yes, we drink and talk about whiskey, but we do so much more with so many interesting people. For example, we talk to comedians like Greg Warren. You know, I don't want to brag, but let's just say I can walk into a Red Lobster and get whatever. You know, I think the pause right there is probably more important than the word. Amazing athletes like boxing champion Buster Douglas. When a fighter's down and he's looking for his mouthpiece instead of trying to get up. That's when I knew it was over. Yeah, yeah, right? And, yes, Bigfoot chasers. Do you believe in Bigfoot? And if so, does he really eat beef jerky? <laughs> the Bigfoot thing is people have seen these, and, and I've seen a lot of compelling evidence about it. It's Whiskey Business with Dino Tripotis. Join us for what we call a good conversation with a good pour. You really can't ask for much more than that, can you, people? Check us out at whiskeybusinesspod.com, a proud member of the Evergreen Podcast Network.